This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by the North Face and its new Ventrix jacket, the best jacket in the world, at least according to the best climber in the world, Alex Honnold. Uh, I mean, the, the Ventrix is legitimately my favorite jacket I think I've ever had. Um, you know, climbing things in the winter in the shade, I was basically just like climbing in the jacket all the time. It just works really well. Alex Honnold is right on the verge of becoming a household name, but if you're not familiar, he's one of those once-in-a-generation athletes that sort of redefines what's possible in a sport. He holds all sorts of speed records, and this year climbed El Cap in Yosemite without a rope. But when I talked to him, it was really clear that he really likes this jacket. For, for me, one of the things that I really like about the Bendrix is that it's um, super resilient, basically. It's really rugged. Like, I climbed quite a bit in it, and I was like climbing chimneys and wide cracks and basically just like rubbing it against rock for, for hundreds or thousands of feet. And it, uh, you know, it's got like two tiny little holes. It's like a really rugged jacket. In your own words, how does the jacket actually work? I think it's magic. No, I mean, I have no idea how the jacket works. <laughs> what he does know is that it's light, durable, tough, and it's dynamic venting adjusts to your body temperature to keep you cool as you heat up. So you can spend more time climbing, less time changing clothes. Not that Alex would have any experience with that, since he lives in a van and only owns one pair of clothes. I mean, you know, to some extent, I do own a, you know, a few pairs of clothes. But that's why I like the Ventrix, is that it's just my only jacket all the time. It's just always in the bag. And you don't really need to think about if it's going to be super cold or mediumly cold or windy or rainy or whatever. You just always take the Ventrix and it just always works. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are Dispatches, stories from our writers in the field. We've spent a lot of time this year telling you stories of survival, disaster, and injury, the worst day of people's lives. And we're actually hard at work on more of those kinds of stories, and they'll be in the feed this fall. But a few months ago, we also realized that we needed a break. So we decided to spend some time looking at the opposite end of the spectrum. We wanted to talk to people about thriving instead of surviving. So we're calling this mini-series The Science of Performance. And over four of the next five weeks, we're going to bring you conversations and stories about how the world's most elite performers do their thing. We're going to talk with a psychologist that helps elite athletes fine-tune their mental game. We're going to talk with a doctor on the cutting edge of sleep science. We're going to talk with geneticists about the future of elite performance and just how rare world-class genetics really are. Will we ever see another Usain Bolt or Shaquille O'Neal? But to kick things off, we wanted to simply talk about what it means to live a life devoted to peak fitness. And there aren't very many people more qualified to talk about this than Laird Hamilton and Gabrielle Reese. Laird Hamilton is a pioneering surfer and waterman, and the new documentary Take Every Wave tells the story of how he's been at the forefront of surfing's last two major evolutions, and it's knocking on the door of a third. I mean, when I look at my life and I look at what surfing has brought me, (laughs) it's worth everything. In the 90s, he was the leader of the Strapped Crew, who redefined big wave surfing by using jet skis to tow each other into otherwise inaccessible waves. Either I towed somebody and they let go, or I was being towed and I let go, but we started playing with it around some little waves, trying to get the technique down. At that point, I just had the epiphany, like, you know, we could get towed onto waves, like big waves. 
but he didn't become a legend until 2000, when he surfed what was considered an impossible 70-foot wave at Chopu in Tahiti. It was this extremely thick left tube that peeled over this really shallow reef. When the waves got over 15 feet, it was considered unrideable. Since that groundbreaking wave, he's helped make stand-up paddleboarding a staple activity on nearly every body of water that can hold a board. And now he's pushing hydrofoil surfing, which, if you haven't heard of it, is like surfing on a board on top of an underwater airplane, which gives you longer, smoother, faster rides. If this sounds like a gimmick, check out the final scene in Laird's documentary. It'll blow you away. It's just an incredibly efficient way to ride waves. You can ride more of the swell, start earlier, ride further, go faster. It's tapping into the core of where the energy of the wave is, which is underwater. Gabby Reese, meanwhile, is a former professional volleyball player, model, author, and currently the host of the NBC reality show, Strong. This week's challenge will require strength in your upper body, forearms, and grip. Partners will have to alter... At their home in Malibu, she and Laird lead groups through their fitness program, Extreme Pool Training, and spend their time seeking out ways to push human physiology through exercise and nutrition. We wanted to see what that actually entails. So we sent outside editor Chris Kyes to California, and he talked to Laird and Gabby about the mental, physical, and relational challenges of being arguably the fittest couple in the world. So the gym's in there, all my ice machines. I have a couple, like, uh, ice machines. Is that what those tubs are? Yeah, ice tubs. Laird Hamilton's backyard pool area looks like a cross between a celebrity's vacation beach home and a Soviet-era gymnasium. Among the palm trees and lounge chairs are four large metal tubs, an ice machine, two saunas, a mountain of barbells, and more than a few things I can't identify but feel pretty certain involve some kind of serious suffering. This is not a place to relax with an umbrella drink. We do a lot of... uh hypothermic training, which is both heat and ice. We'll ride assault bikes at certain temperatures. We'll sit in them for long periods of time at lower temperatures, and then we'll go back and forth between heat and ice. You know, and then I incorporate that stuff within pool training, so lifting weights and swimming. And from that, you have all these unique attributes that you have being in the water. One of them is no gravity. Another one is no air. Uh, And so you have, you know, psychological... uh, benefits you know dealing with stress and and being in environments where you can't breathe you know i'm always adapting uh kind of and and trying to create hybrids just because it's keeps me interested and 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 keeps uh keeps the organism guessing you know not getting too routined um maximizing fitness is only one of laird and gabby's training goals the other is learning how to keep their bodies going, despite a lifetime spent ignoring little aches and pains. We can go up this way. In 2016, both had to go through joint replacement surgery, Laird for his hip and Gabby for her knee. It tells you something about their dynamic, that they scheduled their surgeries on the same day. But I've been limping a long time, so I've had, you know, I've, my first broken ankle was when I was about 15 or something, and I've had a lot since then. So I've, that's part of the reason why my hip went bad, just all the... All kinetic the bro- chain. <laughs> yeah. The bro- yeah, the brakes and then carrying them, you know, yeah. cutting the cast offs and walking on, on a broken ankle. And, you know, and then in my sport, the positioning and the, just the, this, the uh, kind of consistent grind in that joint. Just- yeah. And you had a nagging knee injury forever. Yeah, mine was finally different. finally had it replaced, right? Yeah, we had it replaced the same day. 
Yeah, wait. So who? That came, was her who, idea. Who came up with that? that idea? That was her idea. She thought okay. it would be great. Okay, but looking back, I'm going to help you. She thought it was doing me a favor that she, I, I'd see her incapacitated to make me feel better. But but the fact is, is that when it we were, worked. that was the idea. Yeah, it worked. Except for the first week when we were both completely incapacitated yeah, and I'm looking at her and she's looking at me and I'm like, well, you ain't moving. And I go, and I'm not moving very well. I go, so we're not really you are good. Barely incapacitated. Yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, honestly, looking back, I do think I still believe it was a good idea and I'm perfectly willing to admit when I'm wrong, <laughs> but why was always. it a good idea? What was the intent? Well, okay. There's a couple things where you have natural empathy because you sort of have a sense of what the other person's going through. And so I think there was something to that, but there was another part of me and this is truth. <laughs> what Lair does is dangerous yeah. and it's known that typically the hip is much easier to recover than from the knee. So I sort of thought Laird's focus would be like poor Gabby. She's a hot mess, man. I'm kicking some ass on top of it. <laughs> yeah, you. I love, I love how a woman, oh my, my woman especially, I will, I will get my knee. I needed done to get it done because anyway. It'll be good for you. <laughs> That's not what I said. No, I know. I couched that in a yeah, very I no, real. I know. Yeah, I, know. I really thought about it. That. You said a version of I, somehow it'll make me feel better if you get your knee done. I'm like, Whoa. no, no. What I was saying is in the recovery, because <laughs> yeah. I knew that yeah. it would be slow compared to you. That it would also maybe be psychologically not the worst would thing in the world for you. you. Would it help you at all? Not really. Not really. The only thing it is it slowed you down you. for five minutes. So maybe that was the only thing. <laughs> At least I had like two days where Larry was like just a little slower. But the, the normal, you mean? Yeah. And then you got right back into going. But that's good. He's not ready to concede that he was slower. <laughs> well, he was slow for him. I didn't say how slow he was. <laughs> Laird and Gabby met in 1995 when Laird was a guest on Gabby's TV show, The Extremists. Though he had yet to surf the wave at Chopu that would make him a legend... Laird was already a household name among surfers, and Gabby was getting famous as a professional volleyball player, model, and TV host. They each came to the relationship as driven athletes, but their sports required vastly different approaches, and their different techniques started to rub off on one another. I probably would say that Laird influences me more than I influence him that way. We joke that we all draft off of Laird to be more experimental, to be open, to trying new things. Um, and to practice those things has really, Laird's been a big influence on me because we're really different. You know, I always say I'm a kind of a linear athlete and he's more of an artistic athlete. His work capacity and compliance to things is pretty astounding. And so I, I'd say I've been impacted more, uh, that way than I think I've impacted him more personally than I have athletically you know, coming into the relationship with Gabby, I mean, Gabby was a lot more organized in her and her and discipline in the structure of her, of her athleticism. She had trainers, she had, you know, schedules. And I was a little bit more, um, well, you can say artistic, but you can, you can also say a little more just, you know, free spinning, just that. And, and the fact is, is that, uh, you know, Gabby, uh, brought a certain type of structure to to my training to my life right so she brings a certain structure because that's the nature of the way she she works and 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 i and i think i brought a certain um lack of structure that she needed maybe hers was too structured mine was not structured enough and together there's a certain amount of structure and lack of structure that was beneficial for do you guys for give both each other us. advice or 
um, influence the kind of training you do? I mean, that can always be dangerous in a relationship. Um, yeah, I think what we do is we make introductions and make invitations because I think the number one thing is I am stubborn in my own specific way and Laird is a contrarian. So if you even just say to Laird, you should do this, you should take this, just in his nature, even if he should, he'll, he won't. So if you, if it becomes about sharing and an invitation and, and, um, like, oh, I read this, it seems pretty interesting. And, um, and Laird's always sharing things that he's learning with me and you find the way to find the language within that. Um, but yeah, no, we don't tell each other what to do. That doesn't work on either side on any level. In 2007, Hamilton was towing surfing at Maui's North Shore with his friend Brett Lickle when a massive wave knocked them both from the jet ski. The accident is a key part to take every wave. I remember being hit what I felt was a baseball bat in the back of my calf. And when it hit me, I was like, that just broke my leg. And it just took me, it, it drugged me so deep, I've never been that deep. It was pitch black dark. And we got drugged for, I don't know how many football fields underwater. And then the next one hit us. And then about four or five more waves hit us. We're three quarters of a mile from shore. The jet ski has been washed who knows where. And that's when I noticed the water was completely red everywhere. And I was like, that's so weird. And I remember going with this hand down here and just going, oh my God. The leg had been filleted from the back of the knee to the Achilles tendon. Completely blown open like a curtain. It was the fin of the surfboard is what got me. I gave Brett my flotation so he could float on it, and then I took my wetsuit off and I tourniqueted his leg with my wetsuit. I saw the ski maybe an eighth of a mile from me, and I just swam uh, as fast as I could. The ski miraculously started. Got to Brett, and he was just kind of floating there. I didn't know what shape he was in, but his head was down got him up on the sled. He just shot up that beach as fast as he could. He just came straight up to the top, and he's yelling, you know, help, help, you know? The craziest part of that story is that as soon as Laird knew that Brett was taken care of, he turned around just a few minutes after watching his friend nearly die, and he went right back into the surf at Jaws. Well, I think, you know, people, the first maybe confusion people have is that Laird isn't afraid. And, um, you know, Laird can speak to that, and he has many times about how he is afraid. It's just using that fear in a productive way. And so I think for him, he figured out a long time ago that if something goes awry and I'm able to get back on the horse, as he calls it, um, it's something that essentially psychologically he needs to do right away. And I'll give you an example besides the Brett Lickle story, which is, you know, the heaviest for sure. Um, I was supposed to meet Laird. We were still living on Maui, and uh, I was supposed to meet him for, like, lunch or something because he went out in a morning session, and it was super windy but good-sized. And he was on a 14-foot board Yeah. that um, – anyway, he calls me. He goes in. Hey, I'm going to be late. I got to go to the emergency room. Um, I got hit in the face with my board. I was like, oh, okay, do you need me? No, I'm okay. I'll, be, I'll meet you, right? So he's, he's coming across the street. He looks completely normal. He's like looking from one side for the car. And then when he turns to the side, he has like literally like a baseball size welt on the side of his cheek. And so what's happened is his board, it was so windy. He gets into a wave and his board comes up and pierces a hole in his cheek, literally like straight through. And the doctor's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I can blow air out of the side of my face. Right? So I say to Laird, 
hey, um, like who helped you get in? He's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, you know, like you got a board through your face. He goes, no, I wrote another one. And I understand he's understood in this relationship with himself that whatever way it was left needs to be rewritten in the right way so that when I reenter these situations, I'm set in the right way, both physically and emotionally and psychologically to do this. Her story brought up a time when I broke my collarbone um, at Jaws. I got hit by my board, cracked my collarbone, and then I still, I, I got a couple more ways except when I hit the chop, I could feel it poking, and then I kind of like, okay, I think I'm good at at a certain point, but it was more just about me being able to kind of finish with like, Hey, I can still do it. Even when I was hurt, I can still do it. And, and having that in the back of my head that I could do it when I was hurt. So when I get better, I'm going to be all good kind of thing. Laird's known for saying, make sure your worst enemy doesn't live between your own two ears. A lot of his training focuses on staying mentally strong. Laird and Gabby were early adopters of cutting edge breathing and cold plunge therapy techniques that are designed to keep their minds calm in the face of discomfort. They were developed by Wim Hof, the Dutch Iceman, famous for performing athletic feats in the extreme cold. And Laird now teaches the techniques as part of the couple's extreme pool training program. He says it's key to both his mental strength and overall health. Well, I mean, I, I, I think the breath work um, definitely feeds to it. I think that the ice feeds to it. I think the heat feeds to it. I think being underwater with no air feeds to it. I think I was going to say your pool training, almost every, everything the way Laird does it, if it's physical or other, it is actually always training the mental because I, the interesting thing is to live with an athlete, having been an athlete or be an athlete, certain people have a different relationship with discomfort and pain. And there's certain athletes who like, they're like, Oh yeah, here it is again. And, um, and I think, I really think that's mental, right? So Laird is always pushing himself in a way that it's like, you're always tapping into that mental capacity. How do you feel? Are you stressed? Oh, can you handle that? Can you go a little further? Can you, you know what I mean? It's all that. What decisions do you need to make now? And how's your heart rate? And what choices are you going to make and such? So he's, I think, always putting himself in versions of that because he never does things half-assed. He just doesn't. It's just not his gear. A lot of that is brings into like some of the experimentation. How does that how does that come into being? I mean, fifteen years ago, if you, you know, you said this is my workout facility. I've got two saunas with bikes in it and ice baths. You know, people would have thought you were crazy. A lot of that stuff's fairly recent, and at the same time, there's so much information out there about ideas of what what can work for somebody. How do you incorporate something new? How do you decide when you're going to add something? First of all, there's no shortcuts. So you know there's no like magic pill to take this pill and you're going to be in shape. There's got to be some pain and suffering involved. There's got to be some difficulty. There just has to be these certain elements to make it viable. And, and, then, and then just being curious. I think being curious, like constantly being, you know, I love the, the, the saying, you know, retaining your youthful enthusiasm. It's just like, hey, what's this? Cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, so, you know, and, and being open, like not, not thinking you know anything. Um, but you know, one thing is Laird doesn't really flit around. Like if you try something new and if it doesn't kind of resonate sort of right away, I, he moves through it pretty quickly. And if it sort of resonates, he'll give it some time and go deep with it. Well, and then we have a good core group too. And we have friends <laughs> we and experiment. people that are willing to be, that you can confirm stuff with. So you, I might think something's phenomenal. And then I let my four friends try and they're kind of like, eh. Or they'll go, yeah. And then I'll be like, exactly. And so 
I mean, if it's if everybody thinks it sucks and you're the only one, then you might have to question it. But if you think it's phenomenal and then everybody who tries it goes, yeah, I have that same feeling or and you're like, OK, this is, you know, we're it's real. And is there anything like that's been out there in the, in, the, in the that realm that's like a lot of people say is phenomenal that you've tried and you're just like, this is not working for me? Well, I mean, I can just use I'll use a simple, you know, the this whole cryo phenomenon where everybody's crazy about cryotherapy and I'm just like put some ice in a tub and sit in it sometimes we have a tendency to want to reinvent the wheel and it's like yeah it's okay they made the wheel it's round you can use them you can, in fact you can buy them there you know it, but it is interesting because when, whenever things go a little too culty like there's a little too much of a like this is the only way and we have the secret and you're kind of just you that's that as a contrarian like Gabby says, I, that's the first thing that just the flags go up. I'm like, yeah, no. Looking back at Laird's career, it's clear that this is a man who gets bored very quickly. He invented toe-in surfing after getting impatient with crowded North Shore lineups. And when he got bored with that, he got obsessed with stand-up paddleboarding and then hydrofoil surfing. He's constantly tinkering with new board designs, trying to find the ultimate ride. So it makes sense that adding constant variety to his workouts is also one of his driving training philosophies. But if you think, I mean, but if you think about surfing in, in a way, no two waves are the same, no two rides are the same at the same, same spot on the same day. And so just that format alone kind of tells you as a surfer who I am, because that's my world. Everything's different, always different, everything at the same place at the same day. I look for those that in, in my nutrition. I look for that in my fitness. I look for that in all, in all my life because that's what it's about. You know, no two snowflakes are the same. Laird and Gabby host a regular workout group at their pool. There's no official membership. The group attracts a revolving cast of characters, but a dozen or so longtime friends and fitness professionals make up the core. Their workouts are legendary and, as you might expect, constantly evolving. They do ballistic weight training underwater. They submerge themselves in ice baths. They cycle in the sauna. And they attract a lot of wannabes, but only the truly motivated get to stick around. The group represents another of the couple's core beliefs. Community is essential, both to keep you accountable and to push you beyond your comfort zone. Yeah, so how does somebody how does somebody show up? I mean, they don't just show up. Well, I, yeah. Well, whoever, meet. Well, 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 you have to be <laughs> I can't just to come tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> the people that you have to be connected to somebody who, yeah, or who they, already I, comes. I had yeah. somebody, so, though, stop me at a film yeah. festival. Yeah. And he was so sincere and so passionate. And I was like, sure, you can come up to pool training. And I gave him my email and he came up. Yeah. Because the other side of that is. We give chip, you know, that's how the, so that's brutal. how the community grows yeah. is that we, you have to allow people chances to come you can't and close it down it. Or, and, or yourself and, down. Yeah. yeah. And so, and we do that. And, and sometimes the, the, what's going on takes care of them. They don't want it. Sometimes they fit right <laughs> in and become, you know, yeah. and connect and they become, you know, one of the, you know, and sometimes they come and they don't get the, you know, they don't they don't bring anything and then you and then over after a while you're kind of like you know it you gotta go you're just taking a workout class yeah yeah Yeah. and you're not and you're not you're not supporting and bringing to the to the community and we can't let other new people come in and have a chance to be uh, participate if we let everybody just keep coming so you know sometimes you have to be a little you know brutal yeah it's weird like you're trying to be loving and open yeah and then you have to be right behind it 
kind of brutal. Yeah. And it's just, so yeah. you have conversations where you're just like, it's Oh, I sweat. Out. You're I, breaking yeah. up with them basically. Cause it's, well, people are only going to take it personal. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you have to defend. Yeah. Listen, life is short and you kind of have to defend your truth. And the other side of that is like, your humanity, your, like the people who come here besides their physicality, they bring all this other stuff um, that's sort of life enhancing. Because if people think it's like, ah, just about training, it's like, that's pretty limited. So it's like, if you're, if you are not bringing another dimension. Yeah. Well, and you have to yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. That's work. the other thing. If that, you don't work, <laughs> you can actually out. be a big asshole. Yeah. But if you come here and bust it every time, you get to stay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why is that? You just work. because it helps motivate everybody No, because you just, just look and how can you disrespect work? Nope. You're like, yeah. yo, that person's just Because that's what going. we're here doing. Yeah. That's so, what we're doing. We're here to work. So if yeah. you come and you work and you're just yeah. working, no problem. <laughs> it's like, I would never have time for them not to be here because they'd just be under the whole time yeah. working. Well, when would yeah. I have that conversation? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? like, so, and some people don't come to work. No, they come they to just, you know, say that they come. Yeah, yeah. that's the other that's thing. When I always say this. When I'm walking around somewhere and... When I hear the same name of the person who trains with us in like, oh, I met so-and-so and they say they train with you. Oh, I talked to so-and-so. Then I'm very clear, especially if they come and meander, why they're here. Exactly. So it's like, because the, of, because the OGs, yeah. the boys, they don't yeah. even care. They don't even, no one even, they're like, Laird, no get, says, out, get out of my lane. Yeah. Like move. But they also don't, you know? they're not out running around saying, no. oh, well, we're working well, out up there. Yeah. We're training with yeah. these people or whatever. Yeah. They don't, that's not what they're, they're there to do the work. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Because at the yeah. end, yeah. what are we doing? It's about the work. Exactly. Laird is also fond of saying that if you want your rocket to fly, you put rocket fuel in it. From paleo diets to giving up alcohol, curious mushroom teas to making their own turmeric coffee creamer, he and Gabby are constantly experimenting to find the ultimate performance fuel. But there's a fine line between miracle diets and quackery, especially on the cutting edge of nutrition science. So they're careful not to be too dogmatic. They just stick to a few simple rules. The three white devils are white flour, white sugar, and white milk. Um, Especially if, if it's you not can't real. pronounce it, don't eat it. Laird is really keen on trying to always switch things up in different colors and different variety, if you will. Mm -hmm. But the problem is you just start going down the hole of the more you learn. And it's like... Well, yeah, the more, the more you get down the hole, the more you don't even want to eat. That's the other thing. You don't even want to yeah. eat. You're like, I don't even want to eat. Like, I'm sorry. My guy just lost my appetite. <laughs> I read a book. Off. I lost my appetite. Like, wait, give me an example. Like, because they're saying I, these foods yeah, that you said. Like, like, all of it. Just yeah. whatever. Just, I lost it all. Like, whether they're either just, you They're know, killing you because they're give, They're feeding cows defending. corn and giving them antibiotics. You can't eat the meat. And then you can't eat the thing. And then there's mercury in the fish. You can't and eat the vegetables. are all trying to protect themselves. So they're all poisonous. They all have lectins in them, which wreak havoc on your system. You just tap out. You just like, I I just tap out. Yeah. Quinoa's yeah. good. Quinoa's bad. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, yeah. you know. I've heard yeah. it all ways. So what about supplements? Actually, I, I kind of stopped all supplementation. So I, I was, you know, in the past I've done blood work and okay, you're low here, take this thing, you know, and it's like I, I would prefer, you know, like I'll drink chaga tea at night before I go to bed. I'll drink, you know, ashwanga and rhodiola. And like, I love those kind of things. The tinctures or liquids. Tinctures and elixirs and stuff that are especially in whole food form, whether it's herbs or, or, or you know, or shilajit or whatever, oh. the, you know, you whatever know what the. Is? Uh, no, what is that? Shilajit. It's, I just, it's just a whole other dimension of something that you can't believe people would actually eat that. <laughs> So it's a lichen? Is it a lichen? It's a lichen, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but, but so I. But well, so, what's the benefit of that lichen? Oh, it's just an adaptogen. Well, think about lichen. Like one of the most powerful adaptogens. It lives in in the most harsh environment I mean, in the world. So it will it get mighty. Rocks. Mm-hmm. Like I go, something that eats rocks probably has some good <laughs> qualities about it. Right? But everybody could so, incorporate chaga yeah, into their diet. Absolutely. Laird What's has that? this chaga pot. It's a mushroom. It's like the, the most king of all mushroom. mushrooms. It's a king of all mushrooms. And so Laird um, has a. There's a pot on the stove right now. It's on. 24 hours All a the day. Time. I, I usually drink a couple glasses before I go to sleep. And do you do you choose those things based on the way it makes you feel or based on in, the intuition and the knowledge that, yeah, that's something my body needs and I need to provide that versus saying like, yeah, when I drink the chaga, I feel great, which is very, sort of can be a very subjective thing. Well, I think chaga, like I'll use chaga as an example. I think um, when you drink a little bit before you go to bed, you you will notice that you kind of have a very restful sleep. But if you just read all about chaga and what it does, and obviously it's systemic, so it's over time, but it kind of becomes worth it. Well, in the psychology, I think chaga is good. I drink chaga. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, but that too, but that too, but that yeah. because that's a factor. Sure. I mean, you know, what do they do? The placebo effect on on uh, antidepressants is more effective than the antidepressants because there's no side effects, <laughs> but it has to start somewhere. So you got to start thinking it's good for you as a, as a building block. But then there's also a lot of evidence and you, and, and, and then you start to just make sense. You're like, okay, well things that live in this environment must have some strength because it has to survive this way or things that, you know, when you eat animal proteins that are powerful, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody loves tuna it's also the most efficient swimming animal in the ocean. So there's a relationship between those two. Like, but don't you sometimes feel like there's always this, like the, the new, new of thing, course. Like, yeah, for sure. A pomegranate. You got to yeah. have pomegranate. I, but that's why in a, in a way, and I, I think both Laird and I kind of live like this even separately is, you, you know, you don't jump to anything. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let it shake out. Let's mm-hmm. learn some stuff. Let's see. Um, well, and, and, and try it, and, and, and intuitively, yeah. you'll start, if you give it a little time, you'll know. Yeah. You'll know when stuff's working. Like, your body's pretty smart. If, like, if you're, if you, like, I, when it's I true. drink chaga, the way it, when I drink it, the flavor and the way my body reacts to the flavor of it, and it's not because I put two ske- no, it's scoops like of cane sugar in it. Dirt. It's because <laughs> I drink it, and my body, something is doing something in my body. Yeah, my yeah. body's like, yeah, I I know, you know, it's like I know that something's going on yep. that's making me crave it. And it's not based on, you know, somebody creating a flavor that makes me addicted to it. It's not based on sugar. I mean, and the fact the the fact is, is that, you know, we eat such little variety uh, that we did in the past. And I think that variety, again, in fitness, in nutrition, critical element, instead of getting into the minutiae, of every little thing and go I can only eat this on Wednesday and that because that would be overwhelming and it's and it's impractical. So better to have some understanding to kind of the overriding picture of, you know, probably not great to eat a lot of meat that's being fed corn and Tums because they're getting indigestion and the only way they keep eating corn is to feed them Tums. So maybe and you know and and the and then like a statement like, you know, you are what you ate ate <laughs> you know like i like that i'm like you are what you ate ate hmm, let me think about that you know it's like those are those are things i can use in my nutrition you know in my t- nutrition philosophy right we would say 
you know, so. All right, well, thank you guys so much. Yeah. Um, do you literally have some of the, the chaga in the, yeah. on the stove? I know we can don't we, lie. Can we go over there just We don't a fib. Yeah. That's outside editor Chris Kyes talking with Laird Hamilton and Gabrielle Reese. The documentary Take Every Wave about Laird Hamilton's life comes out September 28th. This episode was produced by Robbie Carver and me, Peter Frickwright, with help from Jonathan Hirsch in Malibu. The Outside Podcast is a production of PRX and Outside Magazine.